Now goes the text of the Yom Yom, and there's two parts to the text. The first is Minhog, and the second is Avod. And as I told you many times, the Yom Yom became a forum for the record of Minhog Yechsidim, Minhog Yechabad. I told you a bunch of times already that the Rebbe had asked the Free Yedike Rebbe, how come there is no Sefer Minhog Yechabad? And of course, years before, the Rebbe were not in favor of such a thing, the Rebbe Rashab used to say, the Rebbe Rashab used to say, I don't like that people imitate me, but in America, the Rebbe asked the Friedrich Rebbe about making a Sefer Amenhagim, and the Friedrich Rebbe said, it's a good idea, but there isn't anybody to write it. So the Rebbe said, I already wrote it. <laughs> the Rebbe wrote down the Menhagim of the Friedrich Rebbe in Poyol, and when the Ayyem Yeh was published, the Friedrich Rebbe gave him a shush to print many Menhagim, including interesting Menhagim, like the meaning of wearing four fist film is in the Ayyem Yeh and so on. And the Rebbe said that any meaning which is printed in Ayyem Yeh means that it has a Shaykhaz Larabit. Here's a meaning by the Gates of the Rebbeim and Havaras Asedrir. And it says, Nesi Chabad, Flagin Mabazan just said, there's a din in Tayyidah. It's Allah, Lamesh, Messiah, it's Midrabona, but it's an important Allah that says that you're supposed to be Mabad Asedrir. Mabad Asedrir means that you're supposed to go over the Pasha, Shnayim Mikro Ve'echo Targum. Women don't do this, unless, I don't know, they have a lot of extra time. But the din is, and men say din shukhanalach, and men do it, shnayim mikra v'echa targim, you say each pasuk twice, and once you say targum. There are psukim and chumish that do not have targum, like uh, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda is a pasuk. The targum for Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda is Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda. So the shukhanalach says, in those cases, you should say the pasuk three times. There's a question whether you could do Rashi instead of Targum Unculus. But the minute you saw Tayyidi here, that you say each Pasuk twice, you say Unculus. The ideal way of doing this, that means the best way of doing it, is that you say each Pasuk, like Vaidabar Hashem and then you say again Vaidabar Hashem and then you say Umalul Hashem You say each Pasuk twice in the Targum. It's very technical to do that because you have to have cup. And in our age of genius, <laughs> they printed a chumash that you can turn your brain off because they printed a sefer called Shnayim Mikav Echatagim. So you have each pasuk twice and then the targum. You just read. <laughs> you don't have to concentrate. Did I say the pasuk twice? I say the pasuk twice. You have to just read. But in the old times, the people were still dumb. They used to actually have to keep track of this. You know, <laughs> you would say the pasuk twice and then you would say the targum. A lot of people have, don't have time, so they find all kinds of ways of cutting and pasting, like to say it once with the Balkaida and then say it again between the Aliyahs. It's not the best way to do Shnaimekavakatagum. I want to tell you something that I heard years ago, and it's, it's impossible to confirm. Maybe it is possible to confirm. But I'm saying it more because of the fire. That because, again, I don't, I don't suspect any of you are saying Shnaimekavakatagum, although I should never say that. <laughs> But I, I'm telling it to you for the because of the passion of it more than for the taichen of it. We're still within shloshim of Rabbi Machal, the Chayyim of Rocha, and Machal Tarabam. Rabbi Machal was a yid of Mesiras Nefesh. No question. No one even questions that. Rabbi Machal's life was service. He didn't have a life. Machal was a chassid and a soldier. 
Mamish. He, he was a Chagradara. He was one in our time. And then Machal was very busy. He had the yeshiva on his head. And on top of that, he had these shuls. Rebbe Chol used to be a shamish in a shul. When he made Olatayda, he continued to be a shamish in a shul because he didn't take a penny from Olatayda. He didn't take a penny for his own gehal from Olatayda. His only panasa came from the shamashes. He didn't take any money from Olatayda on principle. So he had the panot, he became a shamish. What happened? The shuls died. People moved away. People went to uh, Elam Amis. And the shuls dwindled and died. And of course, you know the famous story is Michal ended up in court because they wanted to sell the shuls. And Apidim, you're not allowed to sell a shul. The Rebbe was very, very against the selling of shuls in Brooklyn, as you all know. And Michal, you know, not to sell a shul, especially as against his kavu and so on. And he won court cases. Now all the Tata's kindergarten is in one of those shuls which he didn't allow the shul to sell. Um, but the Bechol was very busy. It was a certain period of time that he was a Shabbos in two or three different shuls. And on Shabbat, he went from one shul to the next, and he laid. So we asked the Rebbe, Yechidus, that he asked the Rebbe, the Bechol, remember, the Bechol is, the Bechol was, or is, what we were supposed, what we are supposed to be. That's not kid ourselves. The Bechol, is a chosid. And, and the Rebbe talked to him like a Rebbe talks to a chosid. Remember the Rebbe talks to wonderful people. And the Mechal asked the Rebbe Yechidus if he could be Yitzhish Naimikra Vechatargum with Leining. He didn't have a minute. And don't forget, after he ran from one shul to the next, he came 770 to Fabrengen. Huh? Running. As an 88 year old man, he ran for Fabrengen. But you, again, you lived upstairs. So you don't know what was going on. I knew through to Fabrengen. After he was in two or three different shuls to make Minyanim, he's running to 770. I'll just tell you one thing that happened by the men's side. When the Mechol came into the Fabreng and usually was in the middle and you saw him in the back of the shul and everybody went why? because the Mechol <laughs> would just march to the front he would come into the he would appear in the corner of the crowd and he would just climb over the benches and wherever he landed he stopped and you didn't want Mechol landing in your neighborhood there was no room but it was very you couldn't tell the Mechol no so I remember wherever the Mechol landed people would tell him it's my plot so Mechol says it's my plot wherever he landed wherever he landed that was his place I always stand there it was very very difficult Mechol didn't take up any space at all this is my place he says it's my place yeah but you don't always stand there I always stand right you know where he he always stood in the same place wherever he landed that was his place Sometimes he would land a little further back, a little closer. He was very careful that the Rebbe shouldn't see. But this was a regular experience every shot. But anyway, the Bechol was a special, special neshama. So he asked the Rebbe Yechidus, as if I heard, that he asked the Rebbe Yechidus if he could be Yechidus, I make a vachatagma kesatere. So I heard that the Rebbe stood up, the Yechidus, and the Rebbe said, Shnayim mikra ve'echatagma Allah alamisha misina. The Rebbe stood up in Yechidus and said, Shnayim mikra ve'echatagma come straight from Meisha ve'enu at Sinai. In other words, do it right. He had he laid in two or three shuls. So we asked the Rebbe if he could be Yosef Shnayim Mikra with the lanings that he did. So he laid one. 
once in one shul, that would be one mikra. You have to read the parsha twice and the targum once. Then in a different shul, he lays again, he has another mikra. So he'll just say the targum. And there are people who do that. So Debbie stood up and said, Shnai, I heard it years ago, but I didn't hear from him. A chassid that ever tells the truth to. That's the mice. And I guarantee you that Debbie didn't miss a week of doing Shnai Mikra Targum as busy as he was. But anyway, he was a very special person. Um, so this Hayyim Yayim talks about how the Rabbeim did This is not necessarily at all a Rabbim, but it's written here. Nesiyah Chabad Flagemavazayin the Ein Parsha or the Tzvei Donishlik Banach Eliyim Shishin Havonasa Sedre would start on Thursday night, the eve of Friday, and they wouldn't lay. They wouldn't do the whole Parsha. They would do until Shani or until Shlishi. Friday after midday, the Rabbein would start from the beginning again. And review the entire Pasha once a Pasuk, twice a Pasuk, a Targum. Once a Pasuk, twice a Pasuk, a Targum. Once a Pasuk, twice a Pasuk, a Targum. Until this is the whole Pasha. Midday after with after. Shabbos in the Fifa and Davin, Shabbos morning, the Rabbeim, of course, usually got Maftir. So the Mabazai Nochem open Shvi, they would review again from Shvi. And when it says, Oiti Kumen Svei Haftedes, if there were more than one Haftedes, this week we had two Haftedes. We had Haftedes of. We had three Haftedes this week. You had the Haftedes of the regular Shabbos, Haftedes of Pashas Tatriya, which is the time of Abba Mitzrayim. You have the Aftera of Pashas HaChaydish. And you also have the Aftera of Mokha HaChaydish. Today is HaChaydish. So yesterday you would have said Mokha HaChaydish. Right? But the last month... Last month, we had four Aftera's. You had the Kis Aftera of Pashas Pekudeh, I believe it was. No, it couldn't be Pekudeh. It's Tzav, whatever it was. Vayikra Tzav Shmin Tazriyah. Right. So last month was was Takip Kudei. Kudei. But it was also Machal Chaydish. Sunday was Eshchaydish. Because you had two days Eshchaydish. If I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I could be mistaken. Mistaken. I'm for sure mistaken. I'm wrong. No, there was only three. It was Friday and Shabbos. It couldn't be Shabbos and Sunday. If it would be Shabbos and Sunday, this one would be Chavchet and Chavtes. I'm making a mistake. But you can have more than one Avtaira. So then it says like this. The regular Pasha, the Avtaira that said it Friday. When they are under Avtaira, all the rest of them, Shabbos is Chedish, Mocha Chedish, this they did on Shabbos morning. So the Rebbeim did Avars said in three stages. A little bit Thursday night, the, the beginning Thursday night, the end Shabbos morning, and Friday afternoon with Zen Shachamorok, they would be Mavid the whole Sedra with Avtaira. Now the din is, you don't have to be Mavid the Avtaira. The reason to go over Avtaira is in case they're going to call you up to Maftir. So when you have more than one Avtaira, you really have to read only the one that you're going to read. Like yesterday, we didn't read at all Pashas Tazriyat. We only read Mocha Pachaydish and the first last part of Mochaydish. But when you do the Havarsa Sedri, you do it before laning. So you do all the Mahafedis. I want to 
want to just tell you a nice story. It's not Mamish about Avaras Hasedre, but it's Alderech Avaras Hasedre. It's a Gishmaka Maisi. And it illustrates in warmth, in light, this answer that the Rebbe gave Rebbe Machal. The Rebbe Machal says to the Rebbe that he wants to be Yetzish Mikra by laning, and the Rebbe stands up on Yechidus and says to him, Shnai Mikra Vechatag Molochal Meshim Sinai. So I want to illustrate it with Asipur. The Asipur with the Fidiki Rebbe. And the Fidiki Rebbe relates that it was during the time that they were in Vienna, if I'm not mistaken, Tafesh Tamach Gimel, 1903. The Rebbe went about six or seven months in Vienna, and he was undercover, he was clandestine, they didn't know who he was. He was wearing a hat, he didn't wear a shtreimel outside Lubavitch Kiyodua. He, Vienna at that time was not only a, a prominent modern secular city, Vienna was one of the chief sources of knowledge in the world for hundreds of years, but there was a lot of Yiddishkeit in Vienna. A lot of Siddish Rebbe's had moved to Vienna because in Poland it was very hard. There were a lot of, Wien was a happening place. There was a lot of Yiddishkeit and a lot of Hasidus in Wien. Even though Wien is Western Europe as opposed to Eastern Europe, there were a lot of, there were a lot of good Yiddishkeit, real solid, old fashioned Yiddishkeit in Vienna. And the Rebbe Rashab visited different shuls. Every shah, in other words, he made the rounds. During that six or seven month period that he was in Vienna, he he checked out different types of Jews and different kinds of communities and different types of Hasidis. And he had opinions. The Rebbe Rashab was the Rebbe Rashab. He had opinions, what you know, what he liked more, what he didn't like so much, and so on and so forth. And this Tam of Bakamas, he put in one of the famous stories that he tells about the Tolna Hasidim. And the Tolna Rebbe was coming and how one of the Hasidim said that if they'll take the water from his well for the meal of the Rebbe, he'll pay for the whole feast. They should take the water from his well. And his well was the other side of town. So they schlepped the water from miles away, even though there was a well in the courtyard of the Bismedrish. And how the old Hasidim was schlepping it. And the Rebbe said to them, why don't you let the young people schlep? And the old Hasidim said that you have to have Gizuntam Allah. Healthy angels, not sick angels, and older people have healthier angels than young people. And the Rebbe Rashab told the Fidi Kirab that this is like a real Hasidis, but this missing the Messidus Nefesh for Chinuch. But this is Kama Vakamas, he put him about the Rebbe Rashab trip to Vienna. But one week on a Thursday night, it was Pachas Mishpatim, I did the Fidi Kirab itself, and they walked into a Besmedrish. At night, it was after Maidiv, it was well after Maidiv. And if I stayed so, he was sitting and learning. Is it stated, one Yid is sitting by himself, and he's chuckling back and forth, and he's saying something very passionately. He's not learning, he's, he's experiencing something. He's like really, you know, learning is more thoughtful, more deliberate, more calm, more in, introverted. He's burning. So the Fidik Rebbe says, my father walked over to him, and I stood at a distance. And my father's home from Aleichem, and they had a conversation. And they were talking for a long time, and it was a very animated discussion. And the Rebbe said, I wish I could have listened into the conversation. The Fidik Rebbe was sitting a little while away. He couldn't go over. It was not appropriate. My sister said, he was, an he was an older man with a white beard. He was older than the Rebbe Rashab. The Fidik Rebbe was all 23 years old at that time, 22 and a half. 
So he stood at a distance, and later his father told him what happened. He walks over, and he sees that the Yid was saying Chumash Mitaich. Chumash was the Yiddish translation. He wasn't saying Chumash with Targum. Like we're reading, he was reading Chumash with the Yiddish translation, like the Beis Yehuda. But he wasn't reading it. He was praying it. He was, his whole Mishama was saying the words in the Taich with such a Varumkai, such a Gishmak. And it looked very appropriate for an eight-year-old boy, you know, who's learning a Chayda and the Malamit's teaching him, hey, Mishpatim, Dazan, the Gazettes, and you know. And this was an adult man, an older fellow. And the Rebbe talked to him. And the Rebbe Rashab saw that the Yid knows how to learn. He wasn't a simple person. He was a scholar, the Tamat Chach. The kind of person who could have been wasting his time, I shouldn't say wasting, spending his time learning the Gemara Sam Mesech, he was a scholarly man. And the Rebbe Rashab said to him, You see, I, I see that you're about Uriyin. You're a Talmud Chachem. And yet you're sitting here and reading and translating the words. Simply push it like, 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 like a Chayder Yingle would do. And with such a Gishmak and such a passion. And the Rebbe was a little bit surprised by this. And he asked this person, What kind of, a, what kind of an Avoid is this? And he told the Rebbe that for 30 years he has this minig that every Thursday night he goes over the Pasha with this with touch. And the Rebbe Hashem was very, very excited, very moved. In other words, his impression was very favorable. Because this is not limudatera. This is chibasatera. This is not saying, this is not studying the tater. This is living the tater, rejoicing the Here's a yid against the Talmud who could be learning what they say in Yiddish is the shvata pintabach. You know, the, the, the nuance, the subtlety, and the depth, and the and he's 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 immersed in tater. For the sake of the warmth of the Tater, not for the sake of knowledge, which is really what Hasidus wants to give to Limadat Tater. What Hasidus wants to add Limadat Tater is not the scholarship, it's that the Abish the Tater in Tater. And when you have the Abish Tater in Tater, there's a, there's a preciousness, there's a Hashivas, there's a very special value to it. So I'm just mentioning this in light of this idea that Abbey from Mabadan de Sedre, and it was something which was very important to them and very precious to them. But they started on Thursday night, and they did the end again on Shabbos morning. Each time was time make a Does anybody else want to say anything? Because otherwise I'm going to continue. So the request. Okay. Now, let's now continue to read. The good dreams. In matters of which a person is informed of during his sleep. Yes, sometimes they have a dream. And uh, to hear a beautiful story, a very nice story, a precious story. That when the middle Rebbe passed away, when the second Rebbe passed away, there was no successor. The Rebbe, the Tzemach who would in the end become the third Rebbe, didn't want. He was only 38 years old, or in his 38th year, and he didn't want. He said, "He said you can ask this one, you can ask this one." He had all kinds of excuses, all kinds of potential candidates. The the content, and all of his candidates was anybody but himself. That was the only rule. And 
one of the Tanis was, of course, his uncle. Not the, the Al-Tarebbe had another son, Ibrahim Abraham. Middle of his second brother was alive, and he would live for another, uh, almost probably another 30 years. 20 years. He lived, he lived for many, many more years. And the Rebbe, the Tzermach Tzadik, encouraged to make him a Rebbe. And then there were others. One of the many candidates that the Tzermach Tzadik kept on suggesting was a Yid who was called the Feter Yosalem. Uncle Yosalem. There was the Feter label. The Feter label, this was al Rebbe's brother, the Maril. He was al Rebbe's younger brother. And his first chassid. The Maril's writings about al Rebbe are very interesting. It's a brother writing about a brother. But Mam is like a chassid. He was a full-fledged Makushit, you know. He wasn't a Mayuchas. He wasn't Amir's brother. He was a chassid. And Maril was a god. Maril wrote Shuvas. They printed Charles Shuvas Maril. He was a big time of big god. But Achmur, Adeni Yochimei Rabbi, he was Mam Shalt Rebbe Chassid. It says that the other two brothers, Reb Motcha and Reb Meishalt Rebbe, three brothers, were not such chassidim of the Alter Rebbe. Of course, the Alter Rebbe was on the pedestal, naturally. The Trinity of the Chesh is Alter Rebbe. But the Maril was Mamish Achos. But then it was the Feta Yosalim. Who was the Feta Yosalim? If you ever read the previous Rebbe's memoirs, you know the names Rabbi Yosef and Rabbi Sochar Ben. Rabbi Yosef and Rabbi Sochar Ben were the Alter Rebbe's Malamdim. There was a Yid named Rabbi Yosef. And he was the Mats. He was the Rav of Lubavitch. And he took a Edim, he took a son-in-law of name was Rabbi Sochar Ben. Who was later known as the Bishachaber Kabilnik, he was called. Bishachaber of Kabilnik. He was the Altarebbe of Malamid. And years later, he was the Talmud of the Magids. He became a Hasidic Rebbe himself. And after a time, he said, What well, have to be a Rebbe, I'd rather be a Hasid. He closed Chak, became the Altarebbe of Hasid. As a child, Altarebbe's parents, Altarebbe was born in Lozhna. And as a child, they moved from Lozhna to Lubavitch, because Lozhna was too big. The Alshantiv was worried about. Not, people talk too much. Al-Shantar was very worried when he gets to Mount Nereven about Ein Hore. So he told the Baruch to move to an even smaller place. Russia was a big city. So they moved to Lubavitch. And Al-Tarebbe's two Malamdim were Rabbi Yisrael Rabbi Yisrael and Rabbi Yisrael. They were both Talmidia of al And they were both sworn not to reveal to the Al-Tarebbe the Al-Shantar's name. Al-Tarebbe never knew about the Al-Shantar. On principle. Al-Shantar didn't want. The Al-Shantar said he had Mesiris Nefesh and Al-Tarebbe should not know him because he said to the Jamaqid, El is dying, that he belongs to you. But there was a Yisuf and a Yisuf And the story goes that the Yisuf used to disappear for six months at a time, for a year at a time. Nobody knew where he was going. But he was going to Balshemtev, some Rebbe Mejavush. So whenever he would leave, he left his son-in-law to take his place. And the people liked the Yisuf so once when the Yisuf came back, the people said. So whenever the Yisuf came back, he became the Rav, and the Yisachaber became Chasad the Benasiya, the Rav's son-in-law. So somehow they got the chutzpah, the nerve to tell the Yisuf, "We like your son-in-law." And the Yisuf was not because his own son-in-law, son-in-law, you're not jealous. So the Yisuf became the Magid. The Yisachaber became the Rav, and the Shver became the Magid, the Mashpia. And the Yisachaber had a son whose name was also the Yisuf. He was the Tzemach Tzedek's uncle. Feta Yosef, Tzemach's uncle. Through marriage, I'm not sure exactly how, but there was a relationship on the Tzemach Tzedek's father's side. Reb Shamshach and Reb Neach was related somehow to this Feta Yosef. He was a very, very big chassid. A very big chassid. He was a tzaddik. God, I 
like a haven that eat. He was a, he was a spiritual Jew. Ayid walked into him once on a Matzah Shabbos. I don't know if you understand this story, but I'll tell it to you anyway. It's not an easy story to understand. It was Matzah Shabbos. After Shabbos. What do you do after Shabbos? You wash dishes, right? He was taking off his big day Shabbos and putting on his big day Chayel. And he was pacing back and forth in the house, all apprehensive, all nervous, all upset. It's a pasuk in Shir is a pasuk that really describes Eivishter in the times of Golos. I took off my clothes, which means I disconnected myself from the lower world. How can I put my clothes back on? How can I go back into the lower world? This is the Chirashirim. It's Eivishter and Yidin. And the Eivishter is saying, I disconnected, I distanced myself from the lower world. How can I reinvest? So this Yid, the Yasef, uncle, was, was Master Shabbos. He said, what was he busy with? He was busy with removing the Avoida of removing the Big Day Shabbos. I don't have any problem taking off my Big Day Shabbos. I took off my weekday clothes. How can I put them back on? And he was very close to the Tamach Tzedek. Very close. On the middle of was Nestalik. And the Tamach Tzedek didn't want to be there. So he kept on sending them to different candidates. And when each one said no, he found a new one. One of his candidates was this Feta Yosef, his uncle. It happens that the Tamach Tzedek and the Feta Yosef were learning Bechavrus. They were learning together together. And they were learning a union. And they had a kasha. And they didn't have a tennis to the kasha. And it bothered them. It was a good kasha. I mean, you're talking about two goinim. The Tamach Tzedek was learning Bechavrus with his uncle Yosel. You understand? You're not talking about regular minds. And their kashas were kashas. And they went to sleep without a tennis. And they both had a dream. And in the dream, the Tzemach Ted, after ever walked into the Chavrus, they envisioned themselves learning as they had done that day. And after ever walked in and answered the tenets. The Tzemach Yosel woke up in the morning and he remembered the dream, but he didn't remember what the Alter Rebbe said. He remembered that Alter Rebbe came to them and answered the question, but the answer he didn't remember. So he walked into his nephew, to the Tzemach Tzedek, and on the table the answer was already written up. So he turns to the Tzemach Tzedek and says, Nu ved avzayin rebbe. He says, Nu, who's supposed to be rebbe? He says, Nu ved avzayin rebbe. Who's supposed to be rebbe? So I might. But there's an Indian of Halay Mishtayim, good dreams. It says in Sfarim, when a person goes to sleep at night, Haneshoma oil o'mailo v'shevet lochayim, the Neshoma ascends to heaven, and it draws chayim, it draws life. And one of the symptoms of this is the Halay Mishtayim. And, I, and I, 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 I'm sure everybody understands that if anybody has this chus, to see the Rebbe in a dream, it's, it's a midin de kazakh. 
It's an unbelievable opportunity, and it's it's not for free. Matas fadit. If you see the Rebbe clearly in your dreams, you earned it. And I don't think you should necessarily give yourself a pat in the back, but you have to thank the Eidushter not just for the dream, but for the zakhus, for the edelkeit, which put you in a position to have such a dream. I'm not going to say that it's, sometimes it ever comes to us no matter what condition we're in. But it's a mudendikas chus to see the Rebbe in a dream. It's a mudendikas chus to in your sleep, learn Teda, to wake up in the morning and to bring with you Teda. So it says like this. The good dreams. In matters of Teda. Which a person is informed of in their dreaming. There's plenty of copies. I've always said there are plenty of copies. Please pass them around. Yeah, yeah. The majority. Through great diligence and Teda during the day. One is preoccupied in Teda. With great diligence. He's involved in serving Hashem with his heart. With, with the unbelievable toil and intensity. When a person at night, ascends to heaven. And it draws light. From the life of above. As it's explained in Zayad. He was at that time, my dear they revealed to him innovations, novelties in Teda. Begal the revealed Teda, the inner Teda. Each, each, each individual one. According to the diligence of his labor during the work of the day. And he brings back Teda from Elamahemus. I want to explain this. And as I told you in the last hour, for those who hear for Tanya, there was a point in our discussions in Tanya that tied into dreams, and I already advertised we we're going to be discussing this. And I want to begin with an example. It says in Sfarim, It is a concept called Golos, an exile. And the, the, the Rebbe brings always the Sikhs from the Sefer Achinuch, who says it about Ari Miklat, about cities of refuge, that Golos is like Misa. Exile is like death. Exiling a person is Midek and Eged Midek. For a a person murders accidentally, has to go to a city of refuge. So the Sefer Achinuch writes because it's measure for measure. Uh, being in exile is tantamount to being dead. Why? Because a person wants to be able to express himself. A person wants to control his faculties. When somebody else controls his faculties, or his faculties are out of control, it's the Sunni mothers. It's equal tantamount to them. How you always see it? Nobody should have an overment. This is the unbelievable side of a stroke victim, Nachman al-Islam. A person has a heart attack, feels unbelievable pain. A stroke victim feels zero pain. But the inner pain, the neshama pain, is a thousand times worse than any physical pain that any person can experience. Because the symptom of a stroke 
is that you tell your body to do something and it doesn't listen. You tell your body to say words and you've been doing it for 70, 80, 120 years healthily and your body doesn't listen. The mind is fully cognizant. You know, this is what they say always. People treat stroke patients like they're mentally retarded and they're not. They don't forget their memory. They're the same. Pe- That's why it's so. Stroke victims cry. It's it's the most painful place to be in. An intelligent person, an achieved person, and people are treating him like a baby because they're assuming that his inability to speak means that he's there's something wrong with him. And if the goof's not listening to that, it's, it's the greatest sound. And the greatest simcha is the ability for the neshama to express up to the goof. The marshal for this in Hasidus of Gashmias is the difference between a person wearing clothes that fit him as opposed to wearing clothes that don't fit, are too big. And especially a lavush sack. Take a person and put him in a sack. In a sack. And it surrounds the person till his neck. The person has no mobility. The, 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 the clothing are not designed to give him freedom of motion. And they're trapped. It's a golus. As opposed to taking that same cloth, cloth, same sack, same material, and make it into an outfit that allows maneuverability of the hands, the maneuverability of the feet, then instead of it being a prison, it becomes a vehicle of expression. The clothing that a person wears honors them and presents them. It honors them to themselves, it honors them to the rest of the world, and so on. But if the clothing that you wear imprison you, it's, it's Gehenna. It's called Golos. And there's a mystical concept called Golos Hashchinah where the Abish says, I'm in exile. The Abish subjects himself to us. And when there's an ear from Bechur Beis Amikdash and Mepnei Chateinu and so on, the Abish can't express himself. And it says the Lashon that the Abish has Tzad. The Abish has Tzad because he can't express himself. The Abish only he wants. But he subjects himself to our choices. And if we allow Hashashon, the Abish is saying, he says he has Tzad. As they state in the Hilkesford. Instead of Golos is Gula, freedom. Freedom means that you're in control. Like clothing that fit you. They're not too big and they're not a sack. Like a healthy person, where the body listens to the mind and so on and so forth. But the basic point is that the difference between Golos and the opposite of Golos, Golos means when you're not free to do what you want. Gula, Chayros means you are free to do what you want. So we discussed in the last class that a Benini who has not sinned is in control of his faculties. A person who has sinned, it says in Tanya Pedic, you die in chapter 17, that till he does tshuva, he may want to control himself and not be able to. But a Benini is a full balabayas over his faculties. He can fully control himself. If he doesn't want to think, he doesn't. If he doesn't want to say, he doesn't. And if he doesn't want to do, he doesn't. However, a baby can only control what's called the conscious mind. He cannot control his subconscious mind. He can't control what's happening in the makifim of the neshama, what's called chayy and yechida. Which is why all kinds of ideas can come into the person's mind from the makifim. A tzaddik, what defines 
means a tzaddik? A tzaddik is one who has the same control over his subconscious like the Bain has control over his conscious. He literally controls his yichidus. Now, but then there's different madrigas of tzaddik. There's different types of tzaddik sheni gomer. The highest madrig of tzaddik sheni gomer. In other words, a tzaddik gomer. And the yivista comes up to bnei aliyah. And a tzaddik yisaydeilah. And the higher madrig is a tzaddik yisaydeilah. Is a person who is a balabas over his pintalayid. The way you and I could be a balabas of what we say. So there's an element of ourselves that we control, and there's an element of ourselves that we do not control. What is sleep? What is sleep? In Shachamadach it says, you know, this is interesting, Shachamadach it says, that we give back our neshama to the Eivishter, ayefa, exhausted, and stressed, and the Eivishter returns to us, our nefesh, refreshed and calmed. In other words, the Shachamadach says, that made Aniyah, thank Hashem for the return of the pakat, of the thing we gave him to care for, and he gives it back, is about the neshama, that the neshama is exhausted at the end of the day, we give it back to the Eivishter, Eivish gives back to us rest. In our experience, it's the body that needs to rest, and our body that's refreshed and renewed, and obviously, they're both true. The Shohamarov says that the Nisham is tied, the Nisham has to, re- has to have some R and R rest and recuperation, so it's true. So there's the element of the exhaustive body, the exhausted body, and there's the element of the exhausted soul, and when a person sleeps, there's a time of renewal of the body, there's a time of renewal of the soul. But it comes the end of the day, you got to sleep. But you don't want to. You shouldn't want to. Why not? Because by definition, sleep means surrendering control. It's going into Golas. The minute you go to sleep and close your eyes and fall asleep, you're no longer in control of your conscious mind. When you're awake, the Bainani controls his conscious mind. He cannot control his subconscious mind. Only Tzadikim can control their subconscious mind. The Bainani controls the conscious mind. But at least a little bit of Alabas, a little bit he masters himself. The moment the Bainani goes to sleep, he's forfeiting, he's surrendering his control. It says in Tanya chapter 29 that when he surrenders his control when he goes to sleep he's not surrendering it to somebody he's surrendering it to no one and this is where this comes in it says in Tanya chapter 29 you can look it up and it's based on this Zayha the Zayha which they never quote here also in this Hayyim it says the following if you're Zayha your Nishama goes to Ghanai if your Nishama goes to Ghanai then it's okay that you forfeited control what could be better you've given you've let go you've surrendered you've allowed the Nishama to be out of your conscious control and it's gone to a place of goodness and of light and of blessing and of title that you could never possibly take it to. So it's an unbelievable schad. The neshama edel l'mayla v'shevas l'chaim is a gevaldik schad. A whole day you schwitz and hard of it with your neshama in your goof, using your conscious capabilities. You go to sleep. The neshama is going to a place where you could never take it to. And you should know this is how the Rebbe explains the vikuach of the leil shvuis. The Rebbe says the yidden went to sleep the night before matan And we stay up every 
year, the night before Matan So in most Svarim it says that the reason for this is that because they did something wrong by sleeping, we have to make up for by staying awake. And the Rebbe says it's not true. They did the right thing by sleeping and we do the right thing by staying awake. And the difference is very simple. They didn't have a tater which we should to prepare for a Matan We already have a tater with which to prepare for the new Matan So for them, the best way to prepare for Matan was to go to sleep because when they go to sleep the Neshama goes to Ganeiden and it draws light from the Tera that is Lamayla that the next morning they should be Makapal the Tera Lamata so Rebbe but we have last year's Tera so why would you go to sleep and let the Neshama go to Ganeiden and get the Tera passively stay up all night and get the Tera proactive the Rebbe brings this two opinions in the Gemara what the night is for one opinion is of the Ivra Urta Ela Lashinta. Night was created for sleep. And the other opinion is Le Ivra Urta Ela Legirse. That night was created to study Tedesh Balpeh, Legirse. So the Rebbe explains what does this mean? What are you, to sleep or learn Tedesh? I mean, what a, what a comparison. So he says, learning Tedesh is proactively connected to Hashem. Sleeping is passively connected to Hashem. And the Shama, when you go to sleep, the Shama goes to Ganeiden. And this sleep is arguably better than the staying awake and learning Tata. You're going to Ganeiden. And the Psak Din, of course, is that Amman brings it down, that it's better to stay awake and learn Tata. If you want to be there, if you have to stay up, the Amman writes, to study Tata all night and not waste a single night. Then you can be there for Kesa Tata, the crown of Tata, as the Amman calls it. But there are two viable possibilities. It's not, are you going to sleep your night away or study your Tata away? Study Tata away. Sleeping means the Neshama goes Lamaik. So the Rebbe said the night before Matan Tata they went to sleep and for them it was the right thing. Because they didn't have a Tata with which to prepare to receive the Tata. We stay awake and that's the bet. We study Tata to prepare for the new Tata which Abish doesn't give us the next morning. But in any event, this is the idea of Neshama. If you're Neshama goes to Ghanaid. Now, you go to Ghanaid and you enjoy Ghanaid and you come back down the next morning the Neshama goes back into the goof and now you're in control again. You don't usually remember what happened in Ganev. I feel with your zayich that your neshama went lemaila, and you were shayev chay, and you drew life. And when you get back in neshama, the neshama is rested and renewed and recuperated. Not just the body has been rested and renewed, but the neshama went to Ganev and rested and renewed. When you come back down into your goof. You don't necessarily remember what happened in Ganeidin. If a person wakes up in the morning and they remember the dreams, they had dreams, and they remember the dreams, that means that yesterday you did an unbelievable job. You must have learned Tater with such a gear. You must have davened with such a gear that you're Zeichah not only to go to Ganeidin, and not only to learn Tater, but to bring it back with you. Now I want you to understand the Gedank here. I want you to understand the the diok here. The diok here is you cannot control this. The definition of sleep is you're not in control. You, I mean the deliberate choice maker. You can't. The moment a person falls asleep, they're not in control of the neshama. Everything that happens between then and the moment they wake up is automatic. They can't help it. But you could help it indirectly. One 
you're sleeping, you no longer have a steering wheel, you know? You ever do a car wash? So when you come into the car wash, they put you on a track. And the moment they put you on a track, that's it. You can't move forward and you can't move backward. You have to go at the speed of the car wash. You have little kids in the car who are afraid of those huge snakes that rub against the windows. There's nothing you can do. You, right? The moment you close your eyes, you're on a track. You no longer are a balabas. But before you go to sleep, you can condition yourself that after you go to sleep, you should have a successful sleep. Not only physically and biologically, but spiritually. In other words, the meaning of going to sleep is a goal. You're forfeiting control. That's why little kids don't want to go to bed. Little kids are the only normal ones in the world. We love sleeping. Kids don't want to sleep. This is, why should I give up control? Surrender it to what? A pillow. Um, <laughs> of a madaf. The goof has to sleep, yeah? When you're asleep, where the neshama goes, what the neshama is going to experience, and especially what the neshama is going to bring back when you wake up in the morning is completely out of your control. You have no control over it. The neshama doesn't have any control over it. Because the neshama's control is through the goof. When a person is alive, as opposed to when the neshama is in a maiden, the neshama's free will is planted in the goof. And when the neshama's goof is asleep, the neshama is also passive. The neshama also doesn't function. The neshama doesn't have a choice. But what we do before we go to bed affects what happens when we sleep. That's the gedanke. And first of all, you have to be that the neshama should go to Ghanayim. And this has to do with the avoid you during the day, which I'm going to tell you in a moment. Second of all, even if you went to sleep and you were zayich, the neshama went to Ghanayim and was she ever higher? Are you going to come back in the morning and say, I had a dream? I learned Taylor. This is what I learned. This, this happens. This happens. Not just that they give morning, but it happens. A person can literally have an idea. He was learning yesterday. He didn't understand. He wakes up in the morning and he has a tendency to cash. It happens. Happens. Is that, how does it happen? During the night, you know, <laughs> I, I, my great analogies. When we were little kids, we used to go on those train rides that you had a car, you get into a car, and you're steering the car. And I always wonder how come I'm steering the car this way and the car's going the other way because my steering wheel is connected to nothing. My car is on a track and I can steer ahead and steer ahead. The car is going to go in the direction it's supposed to go at the speed it's supposed to go. I'm not going to bang into the car in front of me and I'm not going to fall off the track. But I'm riding my car. And the shaman goes to sleep. He, he has no control. <laughs> he, can, he can steer his wheel. He can press his brakes. He can press his gas. He can punk his horse. They're going to jump. You have no control. You have no control over you when you're asleep. But before you go to sleep, if the avoider during the day was an avoider as it's supposed to be, then the neshama at night goes where it's supposed to. And if it was especially appropriate, you bring back Tata from Ghana. There is an unfortunate other side to this coin. And that is if we didn't have such a good day. In Tanya chapter 29, talks about Avoida. He talks about the need for self examination and to find small flaws in oneself if one is otherwise perfect. A person who is very perfect has to find smaller things to fix. So, the, one of the examples that he brings is a person has stupid dreams. Not 
necessarily bad dreams. Bad dreams is bad, but meaningless dreams. Frequently in your dream, you have a meaningless dream. So the Zayar analyzes, and Kolshkem is certainly not good dreams, but Skamas are meaningless dreams. al Rebbe analyzes in Tanya, Pericotas, he brings the Zayar. Where do meaningless dreams come from? And he says a frightening thing, but it's interesting to hear. He says like this. If the Nishama, and I'm putting it in my words, if you go to sleep, and the moment you go to sleep, you surrender conscious control over the little piece of the Nishama that you can control, which is only the conscious, not the subconscious. If the Nishama is not carted away to Ghanedi, if the person didn't serve the Abish as they were supposed to, and the Nishama is not taken on a track to Ghanedi, where is it? It's suspended between the heaven and the earth. You're not in the goof where you can control the direction of the Nishama. You're not Rahmazan and Ganadin where you don't need to have control. It's paradise. So it says the Lush, if a person goes to sleep and was not Zechah, that the Nishama should get into Ganadin, the clip has come and they make fun of the Nishama. They can't hurt the Nishama. The Nishama can only hurt itself. In other words, the Yetzahara can't do Avedis for us. The Yetzahara can't control us. He has to get us to do it. When you Sleep, you can't do mitzvahs, you can't do avedis, but he can make fun of us. Make fun of us means tease us. Yeah, 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 yeah. The nisham is stuck. The nisham, it sounds simplistic and stupid, but it makes a lot of sense. The nisham cannot choose what happens to it. The nisham cannot choose the direction in which it goes. So the klipas mock the nisham. They mock the vulnerability of the nisham. They can't take the nisham away from its place. But they can't, during your sleep, can't do an aveda. But the nisham is in a position where it can't stop an inappropriate thought, an inappropriate event to be introduced by the Klippis, the there's a Lashon in Tanya, I forgot the exact words from Tanya, from the Zaya, that they push it, make fun of the Nishon. So Hastis, in general, there's two possibilities. person goes to sleep. Sleeping means you're losing control of the focus, of the conscious you. And that's what life is about, being in charge. It's human. <laughs> and it's certainly Yiddishkeit, certainly Avodah Hashem. When you go to sleep, you forfeit. But if you're Zaya, the Nishon will go to Ganeidin. And then, of course, there's the possibility you go to Ganeidin and you come back. You don't remember. It's possible to go to Ganeidin and come back and to bring with you Chadish Atayna, says the devil. Person is not zeichad, the neshama leaves the goof and doesn't go any place. So there's an invulnerable position. It's like Gilgul. It's similar to the from Gilgul, but to the tzad that I mentioned before, where the neshama leaves the goof and doesn't go any place. It's tremendously painful for the neshama because the neshama is not in control of itself. And I'll finish the class with this gedank. I forgot the Pratima, unfortunately. But the Nakudas of Sibut is this. The Fidi Kebbe tells the story. That when the Rebbe Rashal, about 14 years old, very young, he had a dream. Maybe 15. He was very young. 14, 15, 16, very young. And in his dream, he saw the Rebbe. He saw the Alter Rebbe, he saw the Mitter Rebbe, he saw the Rebbe, the Tzemach And they told him something. Each one told him something. In the morning, 
He didn't say anything to anybody. He had a dream. He didn't. He didn't. He never saw the Alter Rebbe. He never saw the Mitzvah Rebbe. He remembered the Tzemach Tzedek from his boy, from his child. The Tzemach Tzedek was he was five and a half by the Tzemach of the Rebbe. The Tzemach Tzedek. In the morning, his father says to him, "What did you dream this night?" And he began to tremble. His father, his father knew his dream. You understand? His father apparently was there too, and it shook him. In other words, the reality of the dream hit home when he walks into his father and says, "New so He started to tremble. So his father said, "Shrek, nothing to be afraid of. Shrek, nothing to be afraid of." So I might say, "Okay, 